Um, thank you. Um, I've had lots of questions in the break. Thank you for everyone that's come up and asked me a question or shared the story or wanted to connect. Um, and I've had lots of people saying, but you haven't mentioned this and you haven't done this. Um, and I'm really... Um, but I'm really grateful for that kind of feedback, but also, you know, there's so much to say, isn't there? When you talk about the healing ministry, it's, it's really everything. Um, it's about suffering. Um, and, you know, St. Paul's could put on an event every day of the year about suffering, and we still wouldn't really understand it. Um, and healing is also about helping people to die, and, and healing, really, you can't talk about healing unless you talk about justice, and the fact that most people in the world don't have access to clean water. Um, so I'm sorry that um, if I've missed out something, um, and I appreciate the feedback as well, but um, perhaps this should be seen as a sort of a beginning of conversations, and let's keep talking about it as well. So, so in the first session, um, I covered a bit about what a definition of Christian spiritual healing through a biblical background might look, look like. And in this session, I'm turning to those other two questions that I started with. How does Christian spiritual healing fit into our modern landscape with NHS, doctors, science, alternative health, aromatherapy, hypnotherapy, all sorts? Where do we fit in? Are we just another stall in that marketplace? And that last question, um, what role do we all have, um, whether as individuals or as ch churches, uh, to provide healing? Uh, but before I turn to that, I want to just very quickly to look at how the Christian uh, healing ministry is traditionally understood, um, because we're about to do a bit of it in the cathedral at five o'clock today. They're offering, as far, as far as I know, the first time in living memory, maybe, maybe it's not quite that dramatic, um, but they're offering the ministries of laying on of hands and anointing for healing at the end of the service um, this evening. So I thought I'd just talk very quickly about this the seven areas of traditional uh, sacramental healing. The first, of course, is the chief sacrament of the Christian Church, the Holy Eucharist, uh, where Christ is made present to us. We sort of get a glimpse behind the curtain uh, with the angels and archangels. We come with our heavy burdens uh, to the Eucharistic table to receive our Lord in bread and wine uh, with an idea of the witnesses around us, with an expectation of some kind of uh, spiritual healing um, within a community of believers coming to find that deep peace, this shalom that's promised by Christ, the wholeness of personality that's offered after death, the great healer. Once uh, We're getting a glimpse of it at the Holy Eucharist with those around us. It's the chief sacrament. And I'm pleased that the cathedral, I think it's normally an evensong at this time of day, but we've done doing healing within a Eucharistic setting is very important. Second one, uh, the anointing of the sick has a strong biblical precedent. The Good Samaritan, you remember, was anointed. In Mark's Gospel, the disciples used anointing for the sick when they went out to preach and grow God's kingdom. They anointed the sick. And in the letter of James, the elders were invoked to pray over the sick as a community, to anoint as a community. And that community aspects are very important. Um, celebrant. Uh, tonight we'll use special oil and he hasn't just you know nipped down Sainsbury's and got some olive oil uh, this is special oil that was blessed in the cathedral on Monday Thursday where all the churches of the diocese come and are witnesses to that blessing and they take the oil back to their churches 
to anoint the sick. So this is done within the universal church um, as well. The priest will dip his thumb or her thumb in the oil, make a sign of the cross, as in baptism. We're recalling our baptism when we were gone down to, into the grave with Christ and are brought up through the water and nod to the role of forgiveness in healing. But also, um, if you've ever seen the coronation, the queen or the king is anointed with oil, uh, set apart as a king or a queen for God's good service. But here we are anointing the sick. You are still serving God. You are still important to God. You still have a mission. I think the, the sacrament also nods in that direction. It's not just about uh, hoping that you get better. You are special to God and part of uh, God's world. In the cathedral tonight, they're going to do anointing with oil. And then there's going to be two stations of laying on of hands. Ministry. Now this all might be really familiar to you. You might do this in your church every week. Or it might be really new. Um, so where does the laying on of hands come from? Um, I think it's got a psychological kind of background. I'm a mom of two small boys. And um, the, you know, if they get hurt, the first thing I do is give them a hug. And uh, to make them better. And that sort of psychological connection um, that we have, the importance of touch within a safeguarding framework, is really important in relieving pain. So part of the laying on of hands is that connection. It's also an act of commissioning. Uh, if you've ever been to an ordination service, the bishop lays hands upon the person about to be ordained, drawing the person into the fellowship um, of the priesthood. So laying on of hands in the healing ministry, you're drawing the sufferer more closely into the body of Christ, linking. How important it is to touch the ill, you know, linking them into life, into health, into vitality, with Christ as the source. It's a touch of the Lord. Uh, not of you know, the special person. It's the touch of Christ, the touch of God in the healing ministry. The fourth aspect of the healing ministry is the absolution. Uh, this development in the healing ministry of, of understanding how sin, and, sin is a, a part of illness and suffering. Um, absolution, um, people confessing and resolving their sins. Um, a sacrament where we remove sin, but also always done through the healing power of the um, Holy Spirit. Um, and I mentioned um, earlier in the session that links sometimes between psychological distress and healings, and sometimes the act of confessing and hearing those words, um, you are forgiven. Um, the, the psychological and sometimes physical effects that can have on us. I'm losing count, but I think it's the fifth one is the um, ministry of exorcism, now called deliverance, traditionally part of the healing ministry, um, where the, uh, the spirits are dealt with. It's a specialist part of the ministry. In the Anglican Church, always done, always done um, under the auspices of the bishop, with the aim of creating positive, Holy Spirit-filled communities, a specialist, small part of the healing ministry. But one we're more familiar with it would be pastoral care. It's a recognised part of offering healing. The ongoing witness of care that we so often see through our, our church communities, where healing is sought in the ongoing relationship between human beings. And the importance of pastoral ministry in bringing about the kingdom of God. And it's often unnamed. I did um, a workshop on healing up in Scotland. And um, there was a lady in the kitchen and I was chatting with her. In the break, I said, oh, are you joining our group? We're, we're, 
we're talking about pastoral ministry. She said, oh, no, dear, I don't do pastoral ministry. I just make the tea. And then, oh, on Tuesday, I visit such and such. On Thursday, I go to the hospital. And, uh, you know, this quite this woman had an amazing pastoral ministry going on. Uh, but she didn't call it pastoral ministry. So. Um, but it's so much, it's actually so much part of our church communities that we've, we don't really name it as the healing ministry, but it is. And the final uh, traditional aspect of the healing ministry is helping people to die well, um, helping people find peace, accompanying people, representing Christ um, to people who are dying and to their families as well, working, um, being the person who believes in God in that room perhaps, um, helping people to drive out fear. So in all these aspects, of the traditional sacramental healing ministry, whether it's Eucharist or anointing or pastoral ministry, it's always three-way. So the healing ministry is not about um, especially gifted people necessarily going to do a bit of healing. It's about the healer, the heal e. I'm not sure that's a word, um, and God in a three-way relationship. God's always part of it. Um, the healer is, is there representing God, doing something because of their faith, and the, heal, and the person who is looking out for healing. It is a, and looking for resonance between those three um, to bring about healing. Uh, and if you have any questions about these sacraments, particularly what's happening um, upstairs, do grab me at the end if you have any other questions. I know the cathedral's keen for everyone to be involved in that and come forward. At the end of, just before I move on, uh, one of the most moving bits I find of the healing service is those ministers who've been involved in, in offering oil or laying on of hands turn to each other and they offer them to each other. Um, and I always find that really, I'm very aware of my need of God's healing uh, at all times. And it's, uh, it's symbolic, um, but also deeply meant. So I'm going to turn now to the question of the place of spiritual healing in today's world, beginning by asking what modernity's answer to health and healing is. So in medical science, in our hospitals, and our GP surgeries across the land, the body is often seen as a machine to be fixed. Um, GP might be your first point of contract, and if they can't help you out, you're sent off to specialists. Um, now that's all for a very good reason. I'm constantly fascinated by the complexity of the human body. So genuinely meant thank God for the NHS, for medical science, for all these specialists. Because it's all very complex and it's right that the, for, for people engaged in medicine, the, the physical remains the focus. They have to do that uh, in order to help us. So when I had cancer, I saw Oh, all this, GPs, specialist nurses, radiographers, oncologists, surgeons, histologists, so many. And I'm not sure if they ever talk to each other, ever. Um, well, I know my nurse talked to my oncologist, but really there was so many different people involved in bringing about um, my care. But I was a diagnosis. I was a blue folder with a patient number, a list of drugs and some x-rays that I couldn't read. The patient is often unable to understand their own body. Now, it's all for very good reasons, um, but it's hardly holistic, I think you'll agree. Modern medicine is also a political and financial minefield. The NHS is under huge pressure. Uh, health and healing are tangled with politics and finance 
and nice guidelines, who gets a drug, who doesn't get the drugs. And we're very far from the origins of the National Health Service, which began in monasteries, caring for the ill. And with doctors, often I speak to doctors who are completely burnt out, and they can't remember why they went into medicine. They think they might have wanted to help people, but they can't remember. It's one of those classic vocations, being a doctor or a nurse, but often um, the burnout is so high um, because of the system that they're in. There can be resistance in modern medicine to spiritual healing. Now, not universally. I don't want to make any blanket statements, but it's there. Some doctors are very open, um, and specialists are open to the alternatives, but many are not, and there is a degree of suspicion around spiritual care, despite the evidence of its positive outcomes. Uh, partly this is down to how universal um, scientists think their healing will be. Uh, can modern science explain everything and therefore fix anything? So the degree to which they believe that uh, might influence the degree to which they're open to a spiritual or other types of healing. And it's a politically charged question. Quite often in the Daily Mail, you know, the doctor prayed for a patient. <gasps> Um, you know, it's, and they might lose their job over it. I mean, these are not just flippant issues. So that's modern medical scientific medicine. So on, but on the other side, there is the natural or alternative health scene, uh, where we're given um, power and um, choice over um, how we help our health. For example, um, supplements or aromatherapy or hypnotherapy and all sorts of different kinds of therapies, lots of choice. It's got a long history. Uh, um, almost as long as medicine has um, but today it's worth an enormous amount of money the global alternative health market uh, is, was estimated to be worth one trillion dollars last year it's enormous, there's huge variety um, meeting demand I mean, people, people want this, this is why it's worth so much money um, largely through the mantra of connection between mind, body and soul um, uh, and it, it suffers from a, a large degree of scepticism from medical science, um, which is tough because modern medical science is not equipped to measure it. So, for example, hypnotherapy, um, modern medical science usually goes to test drugs and methods via the double-blind method. Now, you can't do that with hypnotherapy because you can't accidentally, you can't hypnotise somebody and not tell them. So the, um, the actual um, alternative medicines are not um, open at all to scientific research. Therefore, they're very um, vulnerable to accusations of quackery. So where does Christian spiritual healing fit? You might think it would fit better in the alternative world, um, but do we have to choose a side? And I suggest we don't. I suggest that Christian spiritual healing sits between these different offerings and indeed transcends them as ways into healing. So let's go deeper into what I'm really talking about when I say spiritual healing. What do I mean? about that. One of your books on your handout is Fraser Watts, uh, who is a Christian priest and a psychologist, a medical doctor and a theologian. And he wrote a book on spiritual healing. Sorry, he produced a book on spiritual healing, which is um, by a number of different authors. So leaning on his work, um, there are three different definitions of spiritual healing. The first is a healing in which spiritual practices, such as meditation and prayer, play a role. Uh, the second is healing in which spiritual aspects of the human person are presumed to be involved and healed. 
So in that conception, um, our spirituality is part of who we are. It's not just like a bolt-on. Our spirituality emerges out of um, our physical and our physical being and our mental being. Um, spirituality is emergent out of who we are as human beings. So spiritual healing is a healing of our spirit as it relates to our body. And the third type of spiritual healing is spiritual healing which involves spiritual processes such as divine intervention. So a power or an energy that can be called spiritual is central to the healing process. So spiritual healing could be, um, could be those practices or it could be God intervening um, or it could be um, a healing which is brought about uh, by meditation or prayer. Now all those three don't necessarily have to be within a religious framework. Um, there's plenty of uh, atheistic um, practices like mindfulness and, and other ways that we can access a spirituality. It doesn't have to be Christian, um, but I'm going to focus on the Christian interpretation of those three. Um, and I guess this is where I get a bit stuck, uh, because I believe God's everywhere. Uh, God uh, created the whole universe, so there's nothing, as far as I'm concerned, that falls out with um, God's power and control. Um, medicine is a gift from God, surgery is a gift from God. Our minds, our intellects, our ability to study and to develop skills and healing are not out with the God, out with God. so therefore all healing is God, right? Um, if God is the primary cause of all things, uh, then God's involved in medicine and plants and, uh, and all sorts of different things. Um, but this isn't, uh, it's a bit of an insufficient catch-all just to say, well, medicine's God, the GP surgery is God, and praying is God. Um, because there's good evidence uh, the Christian spiritual healing as a discrete practice um, produces um, healing. So there's evidence that the practices I've described to you, the traditional healing method, um, do work, laying on of hands, anointing. So how do we account for that, those particular activities? How do we account for the fact that God does appear to intervene in, um, in our lives and bring about um, spiritual healing? Um, well, special divine action by God, so the idea that God in interferes in individual lives to make people better, uh, does raise some difficult points. Um, scientifically, um, intervention by God is um, unlikely. Indeed, science just studies the physical world around us. So science can never record or measure God because God is out with our physical environment. So the idea um, that you can measure a divine healing um, and say it's scientific is, um, uh, is, is contrary to what science actually is. Um, so there, Stephen Hawking produced a book just before he died about Big Bang Theory and uh, said that, you know, I didn't need God to come up with a Big Bang Theory, therefore God doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Now he's not qualified, um, he's not a theologian, um, and also just because God's not required in a theory doesn't mean that God doesn't exist, so it's sort of an odd position to take. Uh, so science can never detect God. Theologically, intervention by God in an individual case is problematic. Um, why did God choose to heal one person but not another? Um, these are some difficult, difficult answers 
most, most crucially, it removes our freedom to live. Um, so theologically, it's difficult to say that God intervened in particular actions. Um, so what do you do? How do you come up with it? Uh, how do you theologically and scientifically um, understand spiritual healing? And with uh, Fraser Watts, I um, favour a complementary approach to understanding the practices and the process of spiritual healing. And I think most crucially, if we say that Christian spiritual healing does seem to work and science doesn't understand it, um, I think science needs to change. I think um, we're sort of in love with a dogmatic approach in science, um, cause and effect, um, which doesn't allow us to understand Christian spiritual healing, um, but through, through discoveries in science, it's becoming an untenable position for science to adopt. For example, uh, in quantum mechanics, Quantum mechanics is a study of the very, very, very small atoms and so on. But quantum mechanics um, sets out a vision, uh, you know, a vision of the universe which is entirely unpredictable. So quantum mechanics says you can never know where a particle is and what it's doing at the same time. There's genuine uncertainty in the in the theory of material of our material universe. Um, so science needs to get a bit more comfortable, I think, with uncertainty and strange phenomena. Um, so why shouldn't science therefore study Christian spiritual healing? If the tools and explanations are not in science, surely science needs to change. Science as a field engages with the uncertain and the limits of knowledge. Perhaps a working paradigm of how science operates needs to change and really grapple with these things that we don't understand. And science can take steps forward in understanding that will be in line with a complementary theological account of what's going on in Christian spiritual healing. For example, in uh, hypnosis, um, oh no, I'll give a better example. For example, in pain, how do you understand what's going on in pain? Um, you have a scientific account, well, it's due to a, sort of a laceration in the leg or something like that. Um, but a theological account of pain um, that sees that when um, people's framework for understanding what's going on, if they have a, a strong framework for understanding, um, what's going on in their pain, they, they experience less pain. So science and theology can give different accounts of the same phenomenon uh, and achieve complementarity that way. So for healing, um, it can be understood that God is the source of the healing, um, but look for other scientific explanations for what's really going on. So when spiritual healing works, when things have gone well, What's been important? It's been seen that the position of spiritual healer, um, the position of spiritual healers, is more likely to work if the human desires and the divine desires are aligned. So, when God's help is sought or that God's love is acknowledged within the healing, it's more likely to work. Now, theologically, we can see why this might be the case. Uh, we know that God has a desire to be in relationship and to work with people. And so it's true when healing, when humans get together and are open to God's presence, for example, in prayers, they set up a sort of attunement with God's purpose and healings are more likely to happen. So I don't know if you've ever experienced Christian spiritual healing or know someone that has or perhaps read a story about it or um, have had an experience in your own life of being healed. 
And the question always becomes, do you believe it? Uh, do you believe what's going on? Because I mean, if, there's a temptation to believe it straight away, isn't there? Because um, it's of evidence for God. Um, but the problem is lack of, lack of evidence. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't believe it either. Um, a small amount of evidence might point us towards the truth. But if you do believe it, you might be open to being accused of being gullible. Gullible for what you've heard. But if you reject, reject it, you might be accused of being prejudiced against, uh, against some evidence. So it's very hard to find the balance between the two. And make, do you risk being seen as gullible? Uh, or do you prefer the firmer ground of strong rationality that you know, it didn't happen? But there are interesting scientific, uh, scientific evidence of why spiritual healing might work. And some people like science to back up what they do. Um, others prefer just to go with the evidence and the stories that they hear. But scientifically, why might spiritual healing work? Um, I'm going to go back to pain. One of our trustees is a pain specialist, so I get to hear about pain quite a lot. Um, now, for example, if um, pain is due to um, something going wrong in your body, they've measured that p- patients' perception of pain is reduced when they have a framework of meaning to understand what's going on. A framework that might perhaps be given by Christian spirituality. Um, perhaps through reflection on what Christ went through on the cross, or an understanding of um, where we're all headed, or that this is part of life, or it's an opportunity to learn about God. Whatever uh, Christian interpretation of suffering people come with, there's evidence that having a framework actually reduces patients' perception of the pain that they're feeling. Uh, Also with that, pain can be reduced um, if it's um, if it's suffered within a social setting, so suffering with other people um, can change our brain structure such that we experience pain less. So studies about this have um, through sport sports psychology. So when they're training uh, rowers or runners or um, footballers to really push their body hard as possible, if it's done within a social setting, they feel pain less. So if we take these two together, the idea of having a framework of meaning and doing it within a community, well, we kind of have church, don't we? Church and faith gives us a framework of meaning, and we do it within a group. Um, And it can um, reduce our pain by changing our our brain structure. Uh, Fraser Watts uh, calls this a psychoneuroimmunology. So we go to places... um, and we, we experience um, life within that community, perhaps repetitive activities, perhaps doing the same thing all over again. If we're giving a framework to why we're ill again, they have recorded changes in our brain structure that can reduce suffering. So spiritual activity can give rise to immunological activity, how our immune system reacts, which are conducive to health. So this is beginnings of tiny threads of evidence that spiritual healing can lead, uh, lead to health and that can, it can be measured. But I don't think we have to choose. I think science and medicine can sit together 
with, with a, a theological understanding. We can hold the two to account as we come to understand a Christian healing ministry. But I think we've got something better to offer, I think. We could, we could talk about the signs and why going to church might help you. We can talk about the sacraments, what it might do with our neurobiology. Um, we can talk about flourishing and connection in, um, get, looking for mind-body-spirit interaction. But I think we've got, we've got a trump card when it comes to understanding the human experience. Uh, we can trump the doctors and the drugs. Uh, we can trump um, psychology and understand the human person. And we can trump alternative care and how expensive that is. And that's because we have the, the resurrection of Christ from the grave as the foundation of our faith, as a founding miracle uh, on which we base our church. It's the heart of Christian spiritual healing. That God might intervene is the heart of our Christian spiritual healing is that God might intervene to make us better. But if we have that message of Christian resurrection, of Christ's resurrection from the grave, then there's nothing in this life, um, no suffering, no illness, uh, no disease, uh, no pain, that God, uh, through Christ, can't reconcile to God. Um, I think in churches we're, good at, we're quite good at Holy Friday, Good Friday, um, talking about pain. Uh, and, we, and we skip to Easter Sunday and we talk about resurrection. Uh, but actually it's the Holy Saturday bit um, that would be a wise place to base our Christian spiritual healing ministry, that place of suffering and death. Because um, Jesus was actually dead. Um, we like to skip over that, it's a bit uncomfortable. Um, and he didn't raise himself either. I think within health and healing is often a concept that we need to make ourselves better or be better at praying or go to church more or seek more forgiveness or, or do whatever it is. But if you take Christ as a paradigm, he didn't raise himself, God raised him. He didn't have to do anything. God raised him. So there's no experiences of suffering and pain or social or psychological or physical affliction, none of it, that God cannot understand and raise us up. Um, because that's what he did for Christ. And I think through the resurrection, through an understanding of, of death, as well as understanding Christ's ability to act within any of the situation we find ourselves in, um, then there's, 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 um, there's a possibility for all of us, irrespective of our physical, mental and spiritual health, possibility of that reconciliation with God, reconnection with God, and, and ultimate flourishing. And that's Christian spiritual healing ministry. Taking seriously the death and resurrection of Christ with our tra traditions, with our sacraments. Maybe you want to put in the scientific evidence of Christian spiritual healing in your back pocket, if you like. But ultimately, we have the resurrection of Christ to back us up. So why aren't people rushing through our doors? Why aren't they banging our doors down uh, Monday to Friday you know, to ask for this type, of, this type of healing, this type of resurrection. Um, and I think it's down to PR. Uh, I think we are, we've lost our confidence in our theology. We're a bit cowed by medical science where we don't really want to jump on the bandwagon of alternative medicine. We don't want to be accused of quackery. Um, and this needs to change urgently. Our world... Um, 
individuals in our life. Let's not start with the world. So individ ourselves, individuals we know, our communities, and then our world is in desperate need of healing and reconciliation. The, need, the needs are so great. It's hardly, um, the, the, I cannot exaggerate the needs of healing in our world. Um, so churches should be doing much more. We've got a great message. Why are we doing, doing it? Um, and I think we need to change. We need to be confident in our theology of health and healing, our ability to handle difficult questions like, why didn't they get better? I prayed for her. We need to be confident in what we do and engage with our communities. Um, one way I suggest is how we deal with stories of pain. Uh, if it all seems so complicated with sacraments and a bit of science and what, what's actually happening when we pray, that's a huge area. We're all really, we're all much more comfortable, I think, with, with listening to people's stories. It's what the church does traditionally really well as pastoral ministry, is listening to people's stories of pain. And, 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 and when I say listening to them, I don't just mean sort of nodding along, um, but really listening to what people say when they talk about the places of illness. And could our churches be places, places of storytelling and places of healing? Uh, we've all had that experience. You had a bad day, and you go home and tell your um, tell your, your your partner you've had a bad day. You do feel better if you had a chance to moan. Um, where it's different if you go home and you talk to the wall. Uh, that's not quite so healing. I used to say talk to the cat, um, but I'm not a cat lover, and apparently talking to your cat is great and healing. Um, but having our stories heard by somebody who's listening can be a really healing thing. Um, people's identity is very much tied up with those stories, you know, um, where we've been, what we've been through, this is part of who we are. So talking about our experiences of illness and having them heard can be a way of healing. And if you want to go back to cancer again, it's the illness I, I know most about and talk about most. Um, it's one of those key life events, like a bereavement, like another serious illness that requires interpretation. Um, there's good evidence that some survivors of cancer develop post-traumatic stress disorder. They become mentally ill as a result of what they've been through. Um, and uh, psychologists helping people with PTSD and cancer have discovered some people um, suddenly become better and experience post-traumatic growth, great growth in uh, spiritual awareness and health. Um, as a result of, of something. And the something is their ability to tell stories, the ability to talk about the illness. I saw another paper of, um, of cancer survivorhood, and, the most, and they tested all sorts of ages and socioeconomic backgrounds. And the people most likely to die of, of secondary cancer are middle-aged men. And the people in this paper put that down to their middle-aged men's ability to talk about what they've been through. So somehow talking about our stories uh, our experience of suffering can bring about healing. Um, and this has got a fancy name, it's called narrative medicine, uh, the patient's ability to talk about what they're going through. And there's quite a famous book written by Arthur Frank called The Wounded Storyteller, and he spoke of three different types of illness narrative that people tell. The first is the restitution narrative. I don't know if you remember Lance Armstrong, he had testicular cancer. I wrote a great book on cancer. He then went off and cheated at the Tour de France, so he's less good to talk about these days. But he did write a book about his cancer, and he was very much a restitution cancer. It was, you know, I've got this illness, I'm going to defeat it, I'm going to fight it, and I'm going to be stronger and braver and better because of it. 
It's a culturally preferred narrative when it comes to illness. Medicine has got the power to heal and the, uh, the professionals have got the power to make me better um, and life's going to be brilliant afterwards. People like that story. It's easy to, it's easy to listen to. There's no space for the chronically or the terminally ill in a restitution illness narrative. The second narrative is a chaos narrative, um, and that's a really difficult one to hear. So that's the ill saying, I don't know, I don't know why I got ill, um, I don't know how to make it better, I don't see any future, I don't understand what I'm going through. But the third type of narrative that the ill, some ill use is the quest narrative. Uh, where illness is seen as a journey and the ill get to tell their story and the purpose of the quest is to find the meaning. It takes the suffering seriously, doesn't pretend it's not happening like the restitution narrative, but it doesn't hide it under the carpet like the chaos narrative. Um, but it doesn't let it dominate. So the ill get to tell their story, go on a quest to find out how this experience has changed them. And the meaning and the healing is found in that story. Um, which could include looking at the science of the illness, going back to meet people, telling real stories about what it's like, a freedom to tell the story in your own language, not be trapped into the, the metaphors that are common. So in cancer, often we talk about a war, you've got to fight hard. Um, I didn't like that metaphor, I looked for other metaphors. Um, using your own language to describe your experience. What if our churches were places where people came to tell their stories. They went on, they went on quests uh, to find out what their experience of illness and suffering uh, means for their relationship with God, the relationship with their family, and the relationship with themselves. It's not to say that people need to choose which narrative they're going to follow. Often people go back and forth between different ways of talking about it. Perhaps our churches need to be places where people can tune in listen to stories, help people listen with God to what they're going through. So that's just one example. Um, the Guild of Health in St Raphael that I run has got new projects about helping churches become healthy healing hubs for the whole community. Being there at the centre of the community, asking what does the community need and, and working with the churches to be able to provide what that community needs. It might be pastoral ministry, it might be sacraments. It might be working with the NHS, it might be all sorts of different places, but helping churches in the communities that they serve become beacons for health and healing. Because we've got the theology, we've got the background. If we're less afraid we're dealing with science and medicine, we can raise our confidence to be real places of health and healing. Because if we get it right, um, I think people will come to us. They want to come to us. They come anyway when somebody dies. Um, you might go to church for a funeral. If something's gone wrong, they'll come and write a candle. Um, and even when they come for a good reason, a wedding or baptism, my experience as a parish priest was you take the bad stuff too. So in wedding meetings, baptisms and meetings, I find out about loss and problems and issues. People gravitate to church, and one of the chief gifts I think the church can offer um, is just to follow the command of Jesus to make new disciples and to heal. Because if we do it well, then I think that they'll come. If we can handle the science, if we can be confident in what we offer, um, what we offer is backed up by the science. 
that it can provide real healing. But more importantly, our theology can help people set what they're going through in a context. They can flourish irrespective of what's going on in their mind or their bodies. But how do we do it? So I'm going to end now. I've got six points that I think um, are important in the healing ministry. That uh, whether you are in the church or doing this as an individual or, or thinking about it, six points to do the Christian spiritual healing ministry well. The first is you've got to have a good theology. Um, as I said before, um, I could run a whole healing ministry, healing bad, healing, healing um, theologies. Uh, illness is complicated, uh, but it's not a punishment. Um, there's no evidence, biblically, that it's a punishment for sin. Um, we need to have good healing ministries. We need to understand the communities that we're trying to serve as churches. What needs to be healed? And as I said at the start, we need to be un- we don't we need not be naive about what really causes suffering, um, poverty, uh, mental health, insecurity, um, as well as what goes wrong in our individual bodies. I understand our communities that we're trying to serve. Where is where are the needs? There are more. G- there are more churches in this country than GP surgeries. Do we have space to offer clinics? Uh, do we have a garden that we can create a, um, a quiet space? Um, can we work with young mums who are you know, suffering postnatal depression and other problems? Loneliness is one of the chief me- medical problems in this country. The church is really always, is often at the forefront of helping with loneliness. How can we do more? There's so many health needs we can meet. What does your community need? How can we serve? The third point is need um, pray for healing like it works. I was re- reading a group of clergy the other day on the healing ministry. When I said, pray like, pray like you believe it's going to make a difference, they all took notes. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, great. Um, so maybe it needs to be said with all your f- my fancy science and what neuropsychoimmunology says. But actually, we should pray like we actually think it's going to make a difference in people's lives. We need to engage, engage with the sacraments. If that's your tradition, it's not everyone's tradition. Believe that it works. Um, and you'll see a real difference in your life and the people that you're serving. Pray like it's going to make a difference. <coughs> uh, listen to people's stories of suffering. Really listen. Um, I think, um, as somebody asked in a question, I think, earlier, there's a lot of fear around illness um, and saying the wrong thing uh, or making it worse. Um, But if we can be people in places where people's stories are heard, um, we could uh, offer real healing in that community. We're people of story. Uh, Gospels are nothing but stories um, that require interpretation, that are part of our makeup. Um, People need their stories to be heard, and we can make it... Um, a great difference when we listen well to other people's stories. The fifth thing, and this is really a crunch point, and I could have done a whole workshop on this, um, you need to have an answer to this question. Why does bad stuff happen to good why does bad stuff happen to good people? It's it's sort of the crux of the whole thing. I think as a church and as Christians, we live and die by our answers to that question. Why didn't God heal? Why didn't he intervene in that situation? There's lots of different answers to that question. 
Um, and I'm not saying it's easy to answer that question. I think it's really difficult. But we have to be confident in how we approach that. Um, maybe that could come up in the questions. I've got an answer. I've got my answer. You'll have your own answers. Um, but we have to really be equipping ourselves and our church leaders to be able to handle that question. And the final one is, I think, as individuals and churches, we need to engage with science. It, there's a false uh, conflict between science and religion. The media love it. Uh, they love the idea that it's, you either choose science or you choose religion, and it's a, some kind of binary choice. Um, uh, and, it does, and it does an awful lot of harm. I think if we believe, if we are people who believe that God created the universe, why should we not engage with the best way to study the universe, which is science? I think as Christians we have a responsibility uh, to do our bit, to understand what science is saying, um, and be churches that can engage with science um, in a world, in the world we're trying to do mission into. Let's understand what's going on in science. So having good theology, good theology of human health and health flourishing, understanding our communities, what are the needs in this world that we can meet through our faith? We need to pray like it works. We need to listen to people's stories. We need to answer the questions, why didn't God heal and engage with science? Because I think with the Christian spiritual healing, there's only opportunity, opportunity to help people flourish through reconnecting with a God who loves them and delights in them, irrespective of what's going on in their body, mind or spirit. Christ's promise to heal is as good today as it was when he walked earth. And if we engage in healing as mission, we can only grow the kingdom of God.